0: Okay, so we've got some uh, text messages that we want to uh look into mm-hmm. we also have some uh interesting well interesting yeah anyway I'll get to it <laughs> interesting right, text messages things. text messages <laughs> what have we got here let me just go here uh Christian refugees from Nigeria isn't Nigeria a christian nation
1: mm-hmm
0: you say mm-hmm uh, is it a Christian nation or is it not a Christian nation? This is the question. And why would you have r- refugees from Nigeria? Well, within Christian nations, there's always been religious persecution. Okay, so Nigeria is a Muslim nation, mm. It's an Islamic nation. So Nigeria is 53, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say it's Islamic. It's 53.5% Islamic, it is 45.9% Christian, and it is 0.6% other faiths. mm so, yes, there is a lot of religious conflict in Nigeria and with an even close to 50-50 split like that, you're going to have refugees uh, coming from Nigeria who are both e- either Islamic or Christian, depending on what part of Nigeria that they live in. Yeah, I
1: think that's the biggest thing. Like, You can be a Christian living in an Islamic part of Nigeria and, you and you're face. going to face
0: persecution and mm. you can have your name marked down for death and you know, you've know got nowhere to go in that country. Even if you go to an area that is predominantly Christian, you can be hunted down and killed if you have you know done the wrong thing or whatever it might be, and vice versa. We've got to remember that Christians in Nigeria don't have a great reputation as well. Mm. So... Oh, that is so true. And this is a country, you've got to remember that, what, 60% of their GDP is, or used to be, scamming? Yeah, wow. And you can't say that that's just, you know, all one religion or all the other religion, or that's just the atheists in Nigeria because this is a very religious country. Mm.
1: When you just, like, we were talking about the story, you know, Israel and, and what's going on over there. You know, you have a very small area with a high concentration of different religions and you see the tension that that causes and, you know, yeah, we just, you see
0: that playing out yeah. all over the world. I think the long and the short of it is we can't call Nigeria a Christian nation, we can't call it an Islamic nation, but we can call it a religious nation with a lot of religious tension in mm. it. We regularly hear about Christian schools being raided in Nigeria and the girls being, you know, kidnapped. Uh, these kinds of events mm. are not uncommon in Nigeria, and so yeah, a lot of a lot of religious um, conflict in that country between either side. Okay, dispensationalism is the belief that the temple must be rebuilt yes. before Jesus can return. And this is true. Uh, this is, you know, it frustrates me a little bit because it's like you read the Bible, you read the prophecies about the rebuilding of the temple, mm-hmm. and you're kind of given a couple of options with that. You know, you can take the Bible interpretation of what those passages mean or you can make up your own interpretation. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Acts chapter 15, you get the Bible interpretation of what those passages actually mean. You get what God says that the passages mean, and I don't know about you, but I would rather go with what God says that those passages (laughs) actually mean than sort of trying to make up one myself. And in Acts chapter 15, notice what the Bible says here. Um, This is the Jerusalem Council. And in the Jerusalem Council, Mm. what's taking place is that the Christians are deciding what is it that is Jewish and cultural and what is it that is a moral, a moral requirement by God. And so they're looking at their lives and they're saying, okay, do we go out as missionaries and we just turn everybody into Jews? Mm. No, we're not in the business of turning people into Jews. We are ministering to all kinds of different cultures and so we need to differentiate between Jewish culture and we end between what is a moral requirement. And so they have sit down they have the first church, the first great church council in history. Mm. The big issue, because a lot of things, well, that's obviously cultural, and there's a bunch of other things, well, that's obviously biblical. Mm-hmm. The big issue, of course, is circumcision because that is in the Bible. Yes. But does it apply to people who want to become a Christian who are Gentiles? And so they discuss this at length. Verse 14 Uh, The Bible says this is James, who was the leader of the church at that time. Not Peter, but James. He sums it up. He says, Simeon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. In other words, the gospel went to the Gentiles. And to this agree, the words of the prophets, as it is written after this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, And I will build up the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is. So he continues on. So basically what James does is he takes this passage, this prophecy about the rebuilding of the temple, and under the inspiration of God he applies it to the building of the Christian church amongst the Gentiles. Mm. It's very clearly identified here exactly what is taking place. That's the biblical interpretation of those passages, and that's the passage that's the interpretation that we should run with mm. rather than just trying to, you know, make up very creative yeah. ideas that really serve no purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's not you know, the it's... the John Darby interpretation. No. Ugh. No, no, we're not gonna go there. <laughs> um, the the interesting thing about Bible prophecy is that Bible prophecy is given to reveal Jesus Christ. Yes. Re- yes. Revelation is the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. And any, yeah, so there are so many interpretations of Revelation that are very creative and very exciting and tantalizing and fascinate the mind, but they don't tell you anything about Jesus. They Mm. don't tell you anything about his character. They don't tell you anything about the plan of salvation. They don't tell you anything about the great controversy and what God is actually trying to accomplish. They don't reveal God's love in any way, shape, or form. They're just interesting sequence of events. Yeah, They're kind of like an action movie, nothing Mm. more. And as soon as you come to that kind of an interpretation, you know that you've got a false interpretation. You have to ask yourself what purpose is being served by these events if they happen? Mm. you know what purpose is being served in the great controversy in the plan of salvation by the temple being rebuilt, yeah, wow. Well. Particular, you know, and it's interesting. I- Maybe you've got some thoughts on this. Sorry, but hold that thought for a second. Maybe you've got some <laughs> thoughts on this. I'd love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. one eight hundred three two four eight four three 324 843 is the number to call or text on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. It's so interesting that
1: amongst these people, like, there, there is also, like, because this is a very, this has to be a very uh core doctrine to your belief. If you believe that the temple going to be rebuilt,
0: like, this is a massive. Could there be anything more blasphemous than beginning... Ooh sacrifices of lambs mm. after Jesus has died on Calvary. Wow. Yeah. After Jesus has declared the end of it by tearing the veil of the temple from top to bottom.
1: You know, it just makes you think, like, well, the biggest, according to these people, the biggest, you know, most important event to es- eschatology, you know, Building a temple out of stone and brick and wood And sacrificing real animals When God has so much more for us And furthermore makes the point That He is the one that, that does the work That, that rebuilds the temple
0: <laughs> It's heavy It is, it is indeed Okay, so we've got um...
1: You're listening to Faith FM Positively different radio
0: Another text message coming through here in relationship to the quarantine generation, which Oof. has not has not arrived. Uh, COVID-19 and the non-baby boom. The drop has partly to do with the amount of people, men and women, who have been basically sterilised by lifestyle, such as you mentioned, alcohol plus smoking, uh, what is placed in food, stress, Unemployment, chemical engineering, dumping chemicals into the environment. Uh, sure is Satan trying to kill and stop children from being born that they may not find Jesus and be saved. More souls for him and less for God. Yesterday in the news I heard that in America 25 million people were contemplating suicide. With those conditions, who would feel romantic? Mm. That's pretty heavy text. Yeah. and it, Wow. That you know, that that says something about our world though, doesn't it? It
1: does. You know, we were talking like oh, but you know, there was a baby boom after World War 2 which is very adverse conditions. Yes. You know, big big struggles, but still, you know, yes. children were getting born at an exponentially like exponentially higher rate than ever before. Yes. Um yet I feel as though the thoughts that came after World War 2, you know, the thought was oh, we're looking forward to something better. We can leave war behind. Whereas
0: Even though they were fighting the Korean War and the Cold War was beginning and the Russians were getting the nuclear bomb.
1: Yeah, but there was still some hope. There was still some... Whereas today we look at a world that is, yeah, as described there in that text message, very bleak. We're looking into the black hole, you know, of, of many different things, climate change, overpopulation, all these different things. It's almost like why would we bring more people into the world when... The world's, you know, at the end anyway.
0: You know, there was some interesting research that was done some time ago uh, with rats. Yeah, wow. And they put rats in a bucket of water. Uh, A lot of people out west doing that at the moment to get rid of mice and the mouse plague. Mm. Kind of a, I I was talking to friends from out west and they're like, yeah, our friends in town, they catch 30 a night uh, in a bucket. Yeah, wow. And, you know, just pour some water in there and 10 minutes later pour the water and the mice out and reset the trap on top of the bucket. Uh, that's kind of the harsh reality of life during a mouse plague. It's awful, the things that we have to deal with in our world these days. But they put rats in the bucket and they timed how long they would swim for and they, I think they swam for an average of 16 minutes before they just sort of gave up and drowned. Mm. And so then they redid the test and uh, when they were reaching the point where the rats were about to give up and drown, they pulled them out of the bucket, dried them off, made them more comfortable and then threw them back in again. mm Guess how, many, how long they swam for the second time around? Was it less? Six hours. Oh, wow. Because there was hope. Mm. That's what hope does. And this is what gives Christians the advantage mm. in times like this. It's hope. Yeah, wow. People who are contemplating suicide are people who are without hope. That's why they have those kind of thoughts go through yeah. their mind, and Jesus comes to us and He offers us hope. He's like, "There is a way out of this," and this is the this is the wonderful thing about Christianity, and we, it's something we can thank God for so much. Uh, it talks about you know uh, you know dumping chemicals into the food, into the environment, um, and this is causing a sterilization of human beings, so that we're breeding a lot less.
1: And I think, like, the point is not literal sterilization,
0: right? Well, some of it's literal, yeah. Oh. Because there's a whole bunch of chemicals out there that slow you down as far as your breathing capacity goes. Okay. From things in your shampoo to things in your food to things in the air that you breathe to things in the soil that you are touching. So I've got to stop eating and stop bathing. That's the... Uh, and, and and Breathing. And breathing. Yes. Oh, dude, what a win. <laughs> uh, you know, our world is just – but the other big thing, of course, that I believe is a driving factor is, you know, because they talk about some of the emotional effects like stress and so forth, pornography. Mm. You know, the massive rise in pornography has a massive effect on uh, the people having so much less sex than what they were having before. Mm. So, you know, there's, that needs to be mentioned as well as a part of that equation. Uh, It's an important part of the equation. Anyway, we need to get to our Bible study. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We were talking about Egyptian captivity yesterday, and we started a really interesting conversation. We had a bunch of text messages that came through that we didn't get to finish, Mm. and we were looking at two big questions. Okay, so here's what they were. Why did the Israelite people go into captivity? And what were the circumstances that changed that they came out of captivity? And so we had some people who were sending in some thoughts on this. Um, let me just see if I can. I've got to scroll back through to yesterday's message. Uh, God's people in Goshen did not pay taxes because of the blessings and service that Joseph did to Ooh, Egypt and the world. Pharaoh, enormously wealthy, was hugely increased because of Joseph. The Egyptians sold their lands, their stock, themselves to Pharaoh to feed their themselves and their families. If my history is correct, I believe that the new pharaoh was an invader. Uh, That is one of the reasons he did not know Israel. If my history is correct, I'm absolutely going to agree with that. And so this, you know, it, it creates the political situation that enabled the Egyptians to enslave the Israelites. Mm. So if you look at the system that Joseph set up, Joseph basically said it was like seven years of famine, so watch out for it. He then set up storehouses and he created a safety net. Yes. But it wasn't a safety net based around socialism. Mm. It wasn't a safety net where you just got free stuff handed to you. It was a safety net where you had to buy the grain that was in storage. Yes and the process was that you would buy the grain in storage and, first of all, they would buy it with their money, second, they would buy it with their possessions, thirdly, they would buy it with their land, and fourthly, they would buy it with themselves. And within that whole system, there was a process created by which they would work to get all of that back again in the future. Mm -hmm. And so this wasn't socialism, neither was it slavery. Mm. But you can imagine a new pharaoh coming along. he you know topples the old Pharaoh, uh, starts a new dynasty. so there's a change of dynasty that happens here and he could easily sell it to the people that it was the Israelites who came down here, lived tax-free in the land of Goshen, and turned you all into slaves. Mm. That would have been a fairly easy thing to spin. Yeah, wow. And so they turn around then and enslaved the Israelites. Not only that, but the Israelites were breeding prolifically. They were growing. They were having big families, and they were starting to outgrow the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were feeling under threat. Yeah. And you can kind of understand that. You see that in modern societies today. It's very unreasonable. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have. If you go to uh, Sydney CBD, and I used to work in the early two thousands, we planted a church in Sydney CBD. Uh, Over half of the population of Sydney CBD at that particular time were Asian. I would say it would have increased more than that by now. Mm. Uh, The top five spoken languages, other than English, were all Asian languages, Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that you expect because geographically we live in Asia, yeah, not Europe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's geographically where we are. And so there's nothing surprising about that. But you would get a bunch of Australians who would look at it and go, oh, we're losing our culture. Mm. We're losing our heritage. We're losing what it means to. we're becoming Asian. Now, what people fail to realise is that culture is always going to change. Yes. You can't live in the past as much as you might like the past and... You know, have this romantic attachment to the past. The past mm. isn't always that great. You just remember the good parts of it. Yeah, of course. And the other thing that people forget is that Asians are amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and, I agree. And if we are having lots of Asians coming to our country and making a great contribution to our country, then that's amazing as well.
1: We'll be better off for it.
0: Exactly. 100%. It's like, get over it, guys. This is not going to be a problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you can see where the Egyptians were coming from. It's like, oh. Fifty percent of the country is Israelite. Yeah, Ooh, wow. We're under threat, you know. And you get the uh, a nationalistic pharaoh who comes in, and you know, blames all of the problems rather than the solutions. It sounds Israelites. so
1: familiar.
0: Oh, you've heard this story. Before, yeah, I've heard this you? story before in, in recent times. In right? recent times, yeah, uh-huh, wow, uh-huh, wow. Yeah. And they came in as oh, should we even go there? They came in as refugees. Mm. So let's do something about it. Yeah. Ooh, nationalism can be a bad thing at times And so the Israelites end up being enslaved The question is though, why did God allow that to happen? Mm. Wasn't God on their side? Why did he allow them to be enslaved? And we looked at some reasons yesterday You know, it was um, definitely hardening them up as a people Um, It was a result of idolatry You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM Positively Different Indeed. Okay. Let's uh, go back to our Bible study. some interesting questions coming out here, and this is the one that mm-hmm. I want you to answer. So this is a question for you as a listener. We can understand why the Israelites would end up in slavery. Mm. From a political sense, we talked about that in the last section, but from a religious sense, why did God allow it? Well, you only have to look at the number of times that they end up in slavery down through history to understand what was going on. Read the book of Judges. Yeah, well. They are repeatedly enslaved in the book of Judges whenever they move away from God and go into idolatry. Mm-hmm. Look at Kings and Chronicles. They end up as slaves. They are deported. The Israelites are deported uh, by the Assyrians because of their idolatry and later the Jews are then deported because of their idolatry and sold into slavery in Babylon. Mm. The Israelites into Syria, Assyria, the Jews into Babylon. Mm. And so we can see very easily what happens when a person turns their back on God. They, 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 they cut themselves off from the source of protection. Yeah. And when they cut themselves off from the source of protection, what is going to happen to them as a people is what happens to every other nation, ancient nation in the ancient world. The dominant power comes in, uh, rules over them, and enslaves them. Particularly
1: because Israel was like a micro nation with a ton of resources. Yes. Like, yes. how did they ever think they were going to weather any, you know, without political God. storm that came in front
0: of them? Yeah, without God, as you were saying. Okay, so here's the big question that I want you as a listener to comment on and text through on today. What changed? Mm. What changed that brought them out out of captivity? Did they have a revival? Was there a spiritual revival that happened? And goes like, oh, they're having a spiritual revival down there. They have now turned away from idolatry. Mm. They have turned back to me. And this is what you find in the book of Judges. When they turn back to God, God raises up a judge and they're delivered from slavery. Mm. Did, the, did the religious environment change so that now they brought themselves back under the protection of God? Mm. The answer to that question is no, because when Moses turns up, they are so far gone in slavery, they don't even remember who Yahweh is. Yeah, wow. Well. They, they've forgotten about him. And, and Moses is like, yeah, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. was like, mm, what's his name? Who is this person? Mm. We don't know this God. We know all these Egyptian gods. There's like three and a half thousand of them, but we don't know this one. Mm. So what changed? Why did God do this?
1: I'm I'm just thinking about I'm reading these verses right now. You know Exodus chapter one and two and like particularly two and three because it's the introduction of Moses, right? And then furthermore, like in two, you have the story of Moses himself and how he's ends up in as a uh, uh, adopted family member of the king, and then furthermore, he flees to Midian. That's right. And I'm reading this, and I'm like. Man, it seems as though you have Moses here, a guy who gets out. Yes. Like, he, he gets out. He escapes. He escapes Egypt. Yes. And it's like, is this the situation that someone finally has...
0: And Egypt was not an easy place to escape from because it's kind of an island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think about it. How are you going to escape from Egypt? mm. Which direction are you going to go and how are you going to survive long enough to find civilization? Yeah, wow. Because you've got a lot of desert to cover any direction that you go. Yeah. Egypt is a really easy place to keep people confined. Mm. It's it's an island on land. It's just surrounded by desert. Mm. So anyway, he escapes, you, you were saying?
1: Yeah, I'm just looking. He escapes, but the reason he escapes is because, so he's just murdered a guy. Like, yes. he's tried to take revenge for his people. That's right. And it's led to him murdering someone. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though, like, he's committed, like, a pretty grave sin. Yes. But he escapes because he feels bad for it. Like, he doesn't just hang around and claim, like, oh, I can do this because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm part of the king's family. It, like, I, I feel as though Moses would have the political leverage to make up some story and get away with it. Possibly. But it seems as though he leaves because there's something within him that's like I've done the wrong
0: thing. And also because his actions are not appreciated by the Jewish people. Mm. By the Israelite people, the people, the Israelite people are like who do you think you are? Yeah. But this So em- he's not accepted. He's not accepted. He he leaves and I feel like this is like the
1: perfect concoction, the perfect storm that creates someone who is in a position who is ready to be repentant, who is ready to let go of their sin.
0: 40 years of, ne- of regret.
1: Yeah. It, like, because that's what follows after all this goes down, you know, after being in the in the family of the Pharaoh, you know, yes. the, the, the highest echelons of society in Egypt and being rejected, you know, and trying to to firstly denounce that to stand up for his people and then even being rejected by them. He then, you know, is pushed all the way out to Midian to live as a farmer for 40 more years. And I feel that like at this point, you know, learning those lessons as a farmer, but thinking back to that day, he finally comes into a place where he's like, I, I, I want to, I want this out of my life. I want to let go of this sin. And it's at that point that God goes, come to, comes to him and speaks to him. And I feel like, you know, in my eyes, as I'm reading this, cause Moses really was, he was the catalyst for change. He was the mm. man. He, he you know, he was That's right. he was the guy who who started it and it's like it's because Moses his heart was touched by God. He was like I need to change. I need something else. I need to be forgiven. I need I, yeah, I need to stop living in regret. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Lyle?
0: Ah, uh, I think it's, I think you've, you've you've raised some some important points there and you know, God was raising up this individual and wow, he's dealing with a lot of stuff in his life. Mm. Um, okay so here's a passage that we need to think about it's from Genesis chapter 15 verse 13 to 16 it says you must know that your offspring will be alien in a land not their own they shall enslave them and oppress them 400 years but I am going to judge the nation which they will serve and afterwards they will go out with great wealth but you shall come to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a ripe old age it will be the fourth generation that returns here for the iniquity of the Amorites will not be complete until then so here's the other issue Is God's mercy on the Amorites? Oh, wow. The Canaanites who are living in the land. Mm. They're not ready for uh, the judgments that are going to come upon them. And so uh, God's people, God says, okay, you don't get to own this land for another 400 years. Mm. Uh, But when, and once again, you've got the this principle of natural law, the withdrawal of God's protection. And so the Amorites, as they're getting further and further and further from God, because you've got to remember you know, they were partly servants of God at this particular time, but as they're getting further and further and further from God, then uh, the judgments of God come upon them, and in this case through the Israelites. Mm. We haven't got to the bottom of this question. It's uh, definitely a sidetrack from our Bible study, but it's a good one. And when we get to the bottom of it, we're going to uh, get back to our Bible study. We've got more to do on it tomorrow. It's going to be a great Bible study. Um, We've actually got a really interesting one related to this question that comes up in question of the day. You're listening to The Breakfast
1: Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mm, And of course, you can win the amazing prize as Light Lingers by Nina Atchison. Epic devotional book. Please, guys, get in with the correct answer. All right. That means it has come time for... Question
0: of the Day.
1: All right, Lyle Southwell. Our question of the day is, you know, we've been talking all about the Egyptian captivity. How long was the Egyptian captivity? Okay,
0: you tell me. I, I believe it was 400 years the Bible says Exodus 12 and verse 40 and 41 uh, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years at the end of 430 years on that very day all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt mm-hmm. uh, so you said 400 years I say 430 which one is correct?
1: well yours has a Bible verse attached to it. Okay,
0: in, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for a certain, know for certain mm. that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not yet theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. 400 years, yeah. And yet if you trace back through the genealogies and the lifespans, you're going to come up with 215 years. Oh, ooh. So how long is it? This is a very good question. This is a Mm -hmm. very, very good question. Okay, so we've got to look at the specifications of the prophecy to understand exactly what is going on here. And we've also got to look at uh, the authors because you've you've got the same author writing Genesis as you do Exodus, and you've got a historical account in Exodus where the author says um, the time that the people of Israel was there was 430 years. You have a prophetic one in Genesis where God says, "No for certain the offspring will be sojourners in land for four hundred years." Mm-hmm. And so two different perspectives, one historical, one prophetic, are they contradicting each other and do they not at all line up with the genealogies uh, that of, of the of the of, of the of the various people that lived during this period which give you about two hundred and fifty years in Egypt, two hundred and fifteen years in Egypt? Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's a couple of different thoughts. I don't have uh, all the answers, of course, but I'll give you a couple of different thoughts. First of all, if you look at the Egyptian captivity, the circumstances of the Egyptian captivity was that there was a famine, begins with a famine. Um, God's people go to Egypt. That's Jacob and his family go to Egypt where they are then made captive. So God's people, God's church is made captive in Egypt. God then sends plagues to deliver them from Egypt, and they are effectively driven out with Egypt's like leave go get out of here. That's that's the story of the Exodus, right? Has this happened before? Same story. Yes. I think. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Who and where?
1: Of someone being driven out of an of a place.
0: Uh huh. Before this event.
1: Yes. Um. Let me think. Uh. I, yes. I said yes.
0: And now I'm you're right. myself. You're right. You're yeah, right. No, course, you're absolutely of course. right. Let me, let me share it with you. Okay, so you've got Abraham. Yeah, of course. There's a famine in the land. Mm-hmm. He goes to Egypt. His wife, the woman, is made captive in Egypt because of sin. You know, the, the, the Israelites are made captive in Egypt because of sin. The woman, a symbol of God's people, God's church, right? Then their plagues come on the Egyptians and Abraham is driven out. So there's a parallel here, isn't there? And this parallel is obviously pointing to the greater captivity of the Egyptians. Now, when he comes out of Egypt, he takes with him, you know, great wealth and possessions and so forth. But amongst those possessions is a slave girl by the name of Hagar, mm-hmm. and she has a child. And the Bible says that uh, when her child is when when Isaac is weaned, her child begins to persecute, begins to persecute. Isaac now here's what's interesting. if you go from the date of the Exodus and you go back four hundred and thirty years, you find the Egyptian persecuting Isaac. Wow now you need to understand now you need to look at the specifications are the prophet of the prophecy the specifications of the prophecy are that they will live in a land that is not theirs
1: mm-hmm.
0: did they own Canaan? ah uh, no no did they own Egypt no so the whole time they're living in a land that is not theirs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They will be sojourners. Were they sojourning through this period? Yeah. Yes. And were they under pressure from the Egyptians during this period? Mm-hmm. Yes, they were. Of, course. of Initially, Hagar and Hagar's descendants. And, of course, it's Joseph who is sold to Ishmaelites, to Hagar's mm. descendants. That's how they end up in Egypt. Mm. So they're under pressure from the Egyptians the entire way through. Wow, And, of course, that includes...